subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. John Stewart, thanks for being on the Gary Hour. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. How you been holding up since you left The Daily Show? How you feeling? Uh, relatively insane. Insane? Yes. What do you mean? It's a series of these fiefdoms. Fiefdoms? The referee for a football game is just there to make sure no one dies. Mm, what? Fair competition is soda machines with only Coke and Pepsi in them. Sounds like you're having some strange thoughts. I, I think in some respects it's uncontrollable. Well, they say idle hands are the devil's playground. Maybe you have too much free time right now? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to stop you, but what? What was that? With all due respect, people are talking and they're saying that you're starting to speak with nonsensical words. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, you were great on The Daily Show. I was very playful you and endearing. Very playful and endearing. Nobody's arguing that. You know, there are, should be, truths, actual truths. Absolutely. I mean, you just got to make sure you keep your mind active and stimulated and involved in creative things. I'm not uh, like one of the old guys with a metal detector on the beach. No, not yet. I mean, but you have a lot more free time now. It certainly isn't helpful. Yeah, with the seven days in a week, you just take it one day at a time. For, where, where do you come up with these numbers? Well, it's just seven days counting the days of a week yes <laughs> <laughs> it's that your brain works in a certain way so are you accepting of this new insanity you can either accept it and deal with it and hone it or you can try and fight it hey if you're accepting of your insanity then i am too be as crazy as you want to be get away you want me to get away get your butt kicked <laughs> okay you're kind of scaring me john <laughs> okay fight it i'm i'm not gonna fight you john fight it no yes no <laughs> fight it out john get out get <laughs> oh. <laughs> thank you very much for having me i appreciate it Yeah, starting to lose count of the episodes. That shouldn't be. It's maybe five. This is episode five. That's not that many. Come on, Gary. 
All right, this one, Dr. Jana Vragnalova. She's a professor at NYU, and uh, her website is a portal to many interesting writings and projects and stories and all kinds of stuff that you can check out at drjana.com, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A.com. Uh, it's great to have her here and to talk about all kinds of things about sex and dating and relationships and mating and all that kind of stuff. Got my mind open a bit that you'll hear because I admit it when it happened. Uh, been a lot of good feedback on uh, the first episode where we talk about honesty and relationships. I feel like a lot of people listen to that, and the people that know me are being a little bit more honest with me, and uh, I welcome that, though it's kind of unnerving. I do welcome it. All right, enjoy this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Dr. Jana Vrangnalova. That was actually pretty good. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Most people don't get anywhere near that. I was worried about the last name. The first name's easy. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jana. Jana, yes. Yeah. Are you going to go by just Dr. Jana? Yes, because um, unlike you know uh, people in Macedonia, uh, where I'm from, for for whom it's not a very difficult name to pronounce. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's almost impossible for everyone else. Is that in <laughs> Russia? Macedonia is not in Russia. Macedonia is its own country. It it's is. A tiny little country, yes, and uh, southeastern Europe. Okay. Um, it is a Slavic country, so like Russia, um, we speak a Slavic language, but it's its own little country. Its own country. Is it, I guess I could look on a map and find out <laughs> where it is. <laughs> it's right north of Greece. It is, okay. And it used to be part of a larger country called uh, Yugoslavia, which does not exist anymore because it broke into seven or eight different countries. Yeah, it had a very rough bunch of years. Oh, yeah. I had a friend that uh, was from Yugoslavia, Mm -hmm. and his his name was Hugo Molina, and he said Mm -hmm. that his parents, his father was in one of the rebel armies, Okay. And he was captured. He said he witnessed this as a kid. He was captured. His father was captured by one of the rebel armies and brought to his house and skinned alive in front of him and his family. (gasps) What? Yeah. You think that is... Goodness. Uh, I mean, there were some pretty awful things that happened during the war, so I don't know. Yeah. Good thing they split that country up, huh? (laughs) Hey, it worked for a long, yeah. for a long time, for about 40, 50 years. We all lived in peace. We all loved each other. It was all, you know, brothers and sisters and equality and fraternity. And what was the third? Liberty, I think. Mm, that sounds um, good. Yeah, it sounded really good. Yeah. And it was good for a while. And then, uh, what happened? A rebel group came and messed it up? Oh, it's much more complicated than that. Um, the person who I think kept everyone together, who was the charismatic leader of the country, Tito, died. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess no one had the charisma to keep it going. It's amazing. Like the just the whole country, how it can just fall apart into pieces. Just one mm-hmm. person, one little thing happening. Yeah. Kind of makes you realize how fragile everything is. I guess that's why democracy is good. All the checks and balances. 
I don't know. It has its pros and cons. It sure does. Let's not talk about politics, though. Exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say, you are Dr. Jana Vrangnalova. You're a professor at NYU of human sexuality. Yes, That's I am. That's my intro. It's <laughs> a good intro. You have a PhD from Cornell University. Cornell. Cornell. Yes. Cornell. <laughs> I make it sound like popcorn. <laughs> Which I love, so it's okay. It's a delicious university. <laughs> Thanks for being here. You, your website is like I could spend hours on your website alone. Which one? F two. You're probably talking about the Casual Sex Project. That no, uh, your personal website, Janaragnalova dot com, or Drjana dot com. Drjana dot com. Yeah, that's, that's easier. Much easier for the yeah. listeners, yeah. Exactly. But that led to the Casual Sex Project and all these articles you wrote for Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. You've uh, done your homework. Yeah, I just kept like going to somewhere else and going to somewhere else. And I'd be like, no, no, no I have to go back. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. The Casual Sex Project, is yeah. that something you're currently still working on? Yeah, the, the Casual Sex Project is going. So that's a website where that, that I created about a year and a half ago okay. where people can post their true stories of hookups. Yeah. I was yeah. reading some of those, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, so one thing I saw that you said, it's mostly women writing in their stories? Um, I think that was true in the beginning. I don't think it is true anymore. It, we've gone through a lot of different phases, I think, depending on where this, the, uh, the website was written up. Because it was mm-hmm. getting written up all over the world, actually. And so we would get like a big influx of stories from like Peru because some big Peruvian newspaper wrote about it. Right. And, um, so, yeah, it's, it's gone kind of back and forth in different so, phases. So people are writing in their anonymous stories of mm-hmm. just hooking up. Yes. They have to be hookups. They have to be. And hooking up is defined very broadly. So it can be anything from like a one night stand with the tall deck stranger you just met. Mm-hmm. Or it can be sex with a long-term fuck buddy or friends with benefits, as long as you're not in a long-term committed relationship. Right. It includes ex, you know, sex with an ex and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you're reading all these submissions. Uh, I don't read all of them anymore. I, I have research assistants that, that um, administer that because um, it's just too much work. Yeah. But I read the good ones. D- the stories need to be approved by yes. someone? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they don't get posted automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, they get submitted on the website. There's a form. And it's not just a free form kind of thing. It's not that people write um, one big block of text. It's actually answering questions, very specific set of questions mm-hmm. that uh, I kind of um, pulled out of all the research that I've done and other people have done on the uh, on the topic of casual sex when uh, when we ask usually undergrads about their hookup experiences and so I pulled some of those questions and I created just an online form so people will fill in that form and then that goes to us um, on the back end and then we read the story and we format the story and yep. make sure that uh, it doesn't that it's all filled out, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes you get like half-filled submissions yeah, or I saw that. gibberish. Yeah, it's a very uh, scientific questions. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for in particular? Like what is the study uh, going to show? Oh, it's not a study. It's not a study. No, okay. no. It's, it's, a, it's a social experiment. It's a, mm-hmm. just a website for people to share their experiences. It, um, you know, it helps people make sense of their experiences and, and what they did, why they did it, uh, what they learned from it. Uh, it gives people a cathartic kind of space yes. um, oftentimes. I saw that there was, a, there was several that I read that were from people that were married. Mm, yeah, we get a lot of cheating stories. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I would imagine that would be an outlet for uh, a 
someone in a relationship to yeah because some of the people um also they don't really have anyone to share their stories with yeah and that can be tough especially if it was a meaningful experience whether positive or negative you kind of want to have someone to talk about it um uh, with and some people just live in environments where they can't do that whether they because they are in a long-term relationship or because they live in some pretty conservative kind of environments where hooking right. up is not okay and so this is a a chance for them to tell the world what they did and yeah and maybe feel like there are other people by reading other people's stories you know to feel like they're not alone that there are other people you know somewhere maybe across the world that had a similar experience and that they're not the only freak around what's one of the wildest ones you read oh god i don't know i i hate that question i don't know there's there's so many crazy stories and sometimes truth is stranger than fiction and Mm -hmm. i mean they're like big orgies and you know i read one the, today the guy that the guy that went he was married too and he went he didn't he totally didn't acknowledge whether his husband or wife or whatever was okay with him going mm. to the orgy but he went to this orgy and there was like 500 men or 200 men and like 40 women oh interesting and i like, haven't read that story yet i gotta go read it it was, it was like, he called it a bang bang and <laughs> there was just, these women were just getting having sex with several men and all the men were just watching and i guess it was for that it didn't seem like there was bisexual men it mm-hmm. just seemed like heterosexual men it's like a 40 time gangbang kind of thing yeah. gangbang for 40 different women wow. yeah and he told his whole story and he went and he ejaculated three times and with different women and he just watched and god i hope that's true yeah do you ever see stories that you're like there's no way this is true yeah, so that's that's probably the biggest problem I have with the website that you can't. I mean, you can't know. You can't tell for sure. Right. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. You know, I, I have stories which I've told other people, and they're like, "No way!" I'm like, "Yes way." It happened. Yeah. Damn it, I was there. No, but um, these people are submitting them not anonymously, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't reach them at all. Oh, you. Yeah, I mean, they they leave their email, but so I mean, do you try and verify with them? But verify what? Their, if like, their story is true or not. Or write back to them and say, hey, I, thanks for submitting. I love the story, but not so sure it's true. We need pictures. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Proof. Yeah. No, we don't do that. We don't, don't We don't write back now. That's, that's um, I don't know, maybe too much work or mm-hmm. like they already submitted the story. If they're not going to say, yeah, I just spent like, you know, 45 minutes writing the story and I'm going to tell you that it's not true. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. But there have been times when, you know, my research assistants have looked at it. I've looked at it and we've been like, okay, yeah, this really looks like it's probably fake. Um, so there have been stories we haven't posted because of that. There also have been stories, I think at some point, it must have, the Casual Sex Project must have gone out to some um, forum or group of people who were really into rape fantasies. And we started getting mm. all these rape fantasies that sounded exactly like a rape fantasy where there was a virgin, you know, a girl who had never done anything or maybe, you know, yeah, I mean, there were often virgins and then they didn't want this to happen. And then the guy kind of pushed uh, and, and she finally said yes, but she wasn't enjoying it. And then, but then she started having these amazing orgasms and then they had anal sex and she was an anal virgin, but she started having anal orgasms and it just like escalated to the point of like, this makes no sense. So we did not post those. Yeah. You kind of get tipped off. Okay. That's just not realistic. Ever a case where you see something posted where like we need to contact them for legal or psychological reasons 
Um, there have been uh, stories that involved um, things like sex with uh, very young people, mm-hmm. and we don't post those stories. But Do you turn the email address over to the police? Nope. No, okay. Yeah, that's... Hmm, no comment. Um, uh, when I first started reading the story of the guy that went to the orgy... Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I don't believe it. But then as I kept reading, I was like, yeah, I totally believed his story. And I believed his motive for writing it was to feel vindicated by society. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like he was angry that society Mm -hmm. didn't uh, approve of such activities. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, and those kinds of things do happen. Like, it's possible that that has happened. Um, yeah, because he kept saying, like, all these women wanted to be there. None of them were being paid to be there. It wasn't like mm-hmm. they were doing it for... There are, the men had to pay to go. The women can go for he free. Sh- he should be the one to uh, to contact, to be like, okay, where was this? Because yeah. I know now people are going to be asking, like, where the place, where the hell was this? I, yeah. I want to go, I want to go. <laughs> well, he said the, it was organized by a woman, and it was done every month. And he said it was very professional, and the woman does it. She's been doing it for 20 years, he said. What city was it in? He didn't say. Oh, he didn't say. Yeah. Okay. Wait, right. actually, I might track that down. Yeah, it might say so in the <laughs> square, actually. Mm-hmm. It might have been North Carolina, if I remember correctly. Okay. All right, men. North Carolina is where you want to go. There's <laughs> going to be an influx of men moving in. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think that that's a motivation for people writing in. Is that uh, that's why I wasn't surprised when I read that mo- mostly women were writing in because women are often slut shamed and mm-hmm. they write in to kind of confess. Yep. And he was writing in to be like, you know what? I did this and nobody was harmed, no one was hurt, <laughs> and everything's fine, and I would absolutely do it again, and it was a very good experience. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except for the fact that he's married. <laughs> well, there is that, but yeah. Yeah. He should talk about that with his wife or not. Yes. People that are in monogamous, monogamous relationships, obviously, they shouldn't be going to orgies unless they mm-hmm. have approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say? To, what would you say to that guy? What would I say to him? Yeah, like if you if he was telling you he did this face to face as a psychologist, what would you have anything to say to him about him? The fact that he's married. I mean, people cheat. A lot of people cheat. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that up to maybe forty, fifty, sixty percent of people will have cheated on a partner at some point in their lives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Maybe not on the current partner, but at some point on one of their long-term partners, they will have cheated. So I'm not at all surprised that people have these desires. And, and cheating is often a result of just wanting some novelty, wanting something extra on the side, wanting something different mm-hmm. that you maybe don't um, get at, at home. Um, not because it's being withheld, but just because you know that's not the kind of sex life that you have with uh, with your partner. So... Um, it is, it, is, it is very expected to me that a lot of people will have these desires. Now, of course, it would be ideal if those desires were being met uh, yeah. in an honest and open way. I think it's hard for people to ask for it. Exactly. I mean, we don't live in a society that really encourages that or allows us or, or gives us the skill and um, the knowledge to talk about that and how yeah. to open up that conversation. It's and changing, though. It is changing, yeah, it is. And I think we're gonna, go, going to see a lot more people kind of playing with monogamy and non-monogamy and the different types of what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with the, the, with the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey. 
Yeah, that certainly opened up a lot. It did, but it also painted uh, the character as being kind of like mentally ill, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is awfully judgmental. Yeah, but it got, you know, Midwestern housewives who had not talked about sex or maybe not even had sex for months and months to Mm -hmm. actually think about it and masturbate and, you know, talk to their husbands about it and have sex and maybe buy some toys and experiment and try new things. So... And beyond that, I think it it brought the conversation about non-normative sexualities out in the open. Mm-hmm. It made us talk about it as a society. It was everywhere. What is a normative sexuality? Oh, you know, missionary with your husband or mm-hmm. wife. It's kind of, you know, the two people, heterosexual, married couple kind of thing for procreation, if you want to be very, very kind of, you know, very normative in a very, right. very small box. Of course, we've increased you know, that box of what is normative. So now most people uh, are okay with, say, gay, gay sex or mm-hmm. sex um, between people who are not in a, not in, a, in a marital or engaged kind of relationship. Um, but there are still things that are out on the margins, like what? kinky sex and non-monogamous sex and yeah. casual sex. And Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely becoming more part of the general conversation. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people are so uneasy to talk to their partner about sex or about their sexual needs have have you looked at the sex ed that people get in school in america we don't give people any kind of any kind of tools to talk about sex with their partners you mean sex ed that's taught in like middle school or high school yeah middle school high school any school Mm -hmm. and beyond that you know we don't give sex ed for adults in any way so we treat sexuality we treat kids first as completely asexual beings until they hit puberty and then we spend every you know everything that we have and can to repress their sexuality and keep Mm -hmm. it you know not happening until they hit some maybe 18 or something or maybe they get married and then we expect them to be these like you know uh, masters of of a trade that they were completely shielded from for the first 18 20 years of their lives right so it's a very, it's a schizophrenic kind of relationship that we have with sexuality. Yeah. Do you think parents should participate more in sexual education of their children? I think they should, yeah. I think when it comes from the parents, uh, it it's probably the most seamless in a way. But it has to start young. It has to start like from from the moment parents start talking to their kids um, about anything. It starts with naming the parents the body parts with their proper names as opposed to kind of not, you know, mentioning exactly giving them yeah. cutesy names, um, answering kids questions, honestly, at a developmentally, you know, age, age appropriate manner, but not kind of being like, Oh, you're too young to know about that. Shh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. I mean, I think parents are equally awkward to talk oh, to their yeah. child oh, yeah. as much as a spouse is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it starts from, from there. And then parents, have their idea about having the talk one day when the teenager mm-hmm. is old enough to understand. And usually that's way too late, Yeah, way too little. I, I got I mine then, way too late. Yeah, I mean, most kids get I'm it too late. If I, you're mine. still waiting yeah. for yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, th- if, if there's one, the talk, mm-hmm. then it's as if there was no talk. Yeah, you either talk to your kid about this from a very early age, and you always have constant conversations. I mean, whenever something comes up. Um, but there's two different things. There's having the talk to communicate safe sex, which is very important. Then there's the talk to communicate about 
getting your sexual needs met. And well, to, there is no the talk. The, like, these are parents. all... Yeah. The, yeah. This should always be a continuous conversation that, mm. that parents are having about sexuality and body and pleasure and consent and boundaries. Um, right. Well, I think parents should definitely talk to their kids about safe sex and boundaries, absolutely. But it seems a little creepy for a parent to talk to their daughter or son about, you know, you really should get your sexual needs met, you know? there's And then talking about certain parts of the body that could be stimulated. I mean, that seems a little over the line for a parent-child. Because we live in a very sex-negative culture that makes us mm. feel like, oh, yeah, that's something that parents shouldn't talk to their kids about. Of course. I mean, why not? Parents talk to their kids about what they should eat and what's healthy and what's not. They can talk to their kids about how what kind of you know, pleasure they, their bodies can give them. Okay, this is, this is good. <laughs> this is opening my mind. So <laughs> as a woman, you would be okay. You would, you would talk to your daughter about her G-spot and how Absolutely. it could be stimulated. Absolutely. When it's time when, you know, she shows some interest in that. And um, yeah. Oh, this is I'd be really... Like, okay, you know, there is, I, I don't know... Uh, I don't know exactly how that is how that would happen, mm -hmm. uh, but it, you know, I, I totally would be. By the way, your body is a source of pleasure and yeah. can be a source of pleasure, and you should ex experiment with it. You should figure out what it does, what body parts you know feel good when you touch them in certain ways. You know, I'm not going to show you how to touch them, or, or, or you know, I'm not going to touch them for you, but I want you to go and explore your body and learn what feels good. And then once you know what feels good, then you yeah. can tell your partners. Um, yeah, how to make you feel good, and you should tell your partners. Don't expect your partners to know. Right, what is going. They're not psychic. Don't yeah. expect them to be psychic. Tell them what what works for you. And would you tell your daughter like how far do you go with it? Do you tell your daughter now? Listen, tell the next guy you're sleeping with where your G spot is, and to put two fingers up inside your vagina and make the come hither sign. Yeah, would you I, of course. I tell my students that. Why wouldn't I tell my own kids? Okay, so you you teach that at NYU. Mm -hmm. So you're teaching actual yeah. physical sex movements. Well, and I'm I'm not showing it to them on like live people, but I'm showing <laughs> graphs and pictures, and I'm you mm -hmm. know it's like okay, and this is where the G spot is, and if you want to get to the G spot, then you know you can put two fingers in, and mm -hmm. you know it's like one or two knuckles in, and you can get to it by doing the come hither motion. It's right. It, yeah, I I don't see why my daughter shouldn't get that info from me if other. 18 year olds can get that from me that's a good right where where do kids get that from i mean i guess this is opening my mind i guess they should get it from their parents but yeah. then it's, I mean, it can I, get real awkward so quick but it wouldn't get awkward if that if you created an environment from a very early age where these things were talked about when you didn't send them away whenever a sex scene came on tv mm -hmm. when you didn't you know uh, hit their hand away or, or move their hand away when they were touching themselves and you walked in on it. Mm -hmm. When you had a conversation like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know. Uh, that, that, I'm touching here. It feels good. Oh, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Great. Just, you know, make sure you don't do that in public. You know, in, enjoy your body. Otherwise, you know, you create right. that from a very early, early age. You know, some people, some kids will start, start masturbating at the age of four, five, mm -hmm. three, even. Um, and if you can have an honest conversation about that without shame, without guilt, without saying, no, that's bad, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, but teaching them 
when it is appropriate to do that and when it isn't. I guess that could be a good bridge to that. Mm -hmm. You could talk about safe sex and boundaries, and then you could talk about masturbation, mm -hmm. and then you can kind of like eke into that territory of getting your pleasure. I'd say you, you would talk about masturbation way before you talk about boundaries and safe sex, because okay. kids, most kids, the vast majority of kids, in fact, probably all kids, will as soon as they figure out what their hands can do, mm -hmm. that they can move their hands around and they can use them to grasp things and, you know, hold on to things, yeah. um, they're going to touch their genitals mm -hmm. because they're going to touch every other part of their body. So their genitals are just one other part and it's going to feel good and they're probably going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And so usually what happens is then, you know, mom or dad sees that and they kind of gently move their hands aside and say, yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, they might not be very like, oh my God, you're, you know, it's like you're doing something awful, but they'll send these very subtle cues or not so subtle cues that this is not okay. Right. Yeah. I think, I think gently is at best. I'm sure lots mm -hmm. of kids just get their hands slapped and right. get yelled at exactly. and, and told they're going to hell. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But even if, so, so obviously then that, you know, you do that and the kid learns, okay, this is not something that my mom or dad want to see. It's not something that they approve of. So either I'm not going to do that because it's bad or, yeah. well, it, it's kind of bad, but I can't help myself. So I'm going to do it when they don't look, but I'm certainly not going to talk to them about that. But if mom says, oh, that's great. Yeah. Keep doing, or she's like unfazed or, you know, it's like, right. well, just don't do it in front of people. That's something that people do in private in our world. Then kids, kid learns oh okay so this is something that is cool to do and i can actually talk to my parents about that right so it'd be it'd be important for parents to teach their kids like it's okay to touch yourself absolutely it's not but do it in appropriate places at appropriate times yeah don't uh, do it in kindergarten in front of every everyone else <laughs> i think it's also healthy that children know that their parents are sexual beings as well because mm -hmm. most kids are raised to think like my parents having sex is the most grossest thing in the world. <laughs> right. They had sex two times to have me and my sibling. <laughs> exactly. And it was like just a chore that they had to do. And mm -hmm. I don't want to think any further of yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't think that's a very healthy way to think about it then mm. because then you think of sex as something gross. Like why wouldn't you want your parents to have enjoyable sex lives? You know, sex should be hopefully a good, pleasant, positive experience for people. Yeah. I want my parents to have to enjoy their, their bodies and their sex lives, you know. Why do we get so uncomfortable with it as a culture? Because we live in a very sex-negative culture. You think you think From it, the very beginning, the moment we're born, we don't, you know, we're taught that it's something bad, something that we need to keep sort of on the down low until, until that moment when we get married and then we're, we're supposed to be like these wizards of, of sexual skill and knowledge. Right. Do you feel like you want to change the the dialogue in American culture? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how big my megaphone is um, <laughs> to be able to do that, but I certainly that that is one of my goals in life. Well, yes. and change takes time too. It yes, doesn't happen exactly. overnight. Yeah, it does take time. But I mean, I think we are doing that, and a lot of people are working on on changing. It's not just me. There's a lot of people who are advocating mm -hmm. more and more for uh, open and honest conversations about sexuality and the casual sex project is you know one one way of doing that just sort of sharing real experiences and talking about these marginalized kind of ways of having sex and yeah um, I, I think that's well one of the one of the paradoxes with casual sex is that uh, it's often different for women than it is for men generally speaking obviously mm -hmm. everyone's an individual but 
I know with um, many women, they don't want to just sleep with a stranger. They want to sleep with someone they feel an emotional bond with. Mm-hmm. And with men, I think it's, generally speaking, it's more animalistic. It's just like, ooh, sexy piece of meat. I want to, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's On average, that is correct. Men mm-hmm. are more interested in sex with people they don't know very well um, than women. Yeah, so so there is an average difference. That doesn't mean that all men are interested in casual sex and right. all women are not. That also doesn't mean that all men are more interested in casual sex than all women. Right. Those But do you uh, think do you think this is a cultural thing or do you think it's innate with women? I think it's a mix. Um, I think mm-hmm. there are some evolutionary reasons why men would be more interested in, um, you know, sex without attachment. You know, the whole spreading the spreading the seed and all that is, right. to some extent, evolutionary beneficial. Whereas it's less beneficial for women because you know there's only so many kids you can have, even if you had sex with you know thousands of of men. Right. Um, so I think there is an evolutionary component to that creating. Uh, a, a tendency or predisposition for men to be higher on that than women. But I think society has really uh, um, latched onto those differences and emphasized them and made them a lot bigger. And we have plenty of evidence to suggest that, you know, the difference in how much women and men want casual sex is much, much bigger in a place like Pakistan mm-hmm. than in a place like Sweden. Right. So the more egalitarian a society is, the more power women have, the more uh, social power, but also um, economic power, the less they depend on men, the, the more they can express their desires uh, and the less they feel they're going to be punished for expressing their sexuality, the more likely they are to have these desires and interests. Have you found from your studies that there is a difference where women are more powerful in a society that they do have more casual sex? Uh, they certainly have higher interest in casual sex and and actually more casual sex. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. not my studies, but other people's studies have found that there there was a, I think in two thousand nine a study of like fifty different countries around the world and just looking at the differences in how interested in casual sex men and women were. Right. One and thing- so men were always higher than women, but the difference in places like Sweden or Den- Denmark or Norway was like tiny. Mm. And some of the, these less egalitarian societies, that difference was huge. Yeah. Do you think part of that is because people aren't being truthful that, oh, I don't want to say that I want to have casual sex because it's wrong in my society in a survey? Uh, I think to some extent, but mm. um, you internalize a lot of the values around you in your, in your mm-hmm. culture. So if, whether you know it or not. Exactly. Whether yeah. you want it or not. It's, mm. it's just something that you've grown up with your entire life. So your desires, to some extent are determined by by your society and and what you're taught that you should want now especially if your desire is not particularly strong so you know if if you're someone who is dying to have casual sex like Mm -hmm. everywhere you go you just see hot strangers like oh my god i want to have sex with you now um if so if you on that very far end of that continuum then probably living in a more conservative society is not going to do much to, to kill that desire, it might make you feel very shame, uh, shameful and guilty about having it, but you're still going to have it. But if you're somewhere kind of along the, the middle range of that continuum, mm-hmm. if you could take it or leave it, then living in a, in a world that says, oh, no, 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 you don't want this, you know, right. this is not for you, um, then probably it's going to make you think that it's not for you and that well, you don't want it. One thing that's changing in American culture is that with, with hookups, for men in general, it's very empowering. 
if mm-hmm. a guy if a guy brings a girl home it's like it's very empowering for them and I, and with women it's kind of like uh, it's historically been viewed as very shameful mm-hmm. and the I think the walk of shame the walk the of stride shame. of pride haha <laughs> exactly and I think that's changing with uh, culture with the show girls and uh, mm-hmm. slut shaming being mm-hmm. a thing and it's an odd form of feminism <laughs> right yeah um, but it, it can be very empowering for women and a lot of the stories on the casual sex project in fact speak to that mm-hmm. uh, st- stories from women where you know they, they had a lot of shame or guilt around their desires or um, uh, you know never thought they could enjoy something like like a casual hookup be allowed to enjoy it or yeah or they just didn't think that that was for them because Mm -hmm. they grew up in a world that taught them girls don't enjoy um you know uh, unattached emotionally unattached sex and then they had this like amazing hookup Mm -hmm. uh with a partner who was good and you know caring and 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 and, uh respectful uh, respectful and into them and gave them an amazing orgasm or made them squirt for the first time or whatever it was that you know they something happened that was really uh, amazing and they were like oh my god it really changed the outlook that i had on who i am and what i can have and um so it, it they do often talk about that being empowering when the when the hookups were good when the Uh, the hookups were good right now how much of this is connected to um like a woman being penetrated when you're penetrated that's uh viewed as an act of submission you know the the way the penetrator Mm -hmm. is the the conqueror Mm that you're in the power position but it's really just a play of attitude and perspective because i know women were like they've said to me oh even though i'm being penetrated i don't feel like i'm in the submissive role i feel like mm-hmm. i'm enveloping them mm-hmm. and i'm taking them and like it's like they're viewing it as like no i'm i have the power mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't think there's anything inherently submissive about being penetrated or mm-hmm. anything uh inherently dominant about penetrating uh you can play around with that however you want so yeah you can totally make that be the um be sort of a, a ds domination submission kind of play or it can be completely, you know, neutral in terms of the power dynamic. So it how much be, of that? This is just a pleasurable experience. Just like you know, uh, you rubbing my leg or something feels good, and you know whether you're the rubbed or the rubby, you right. know, it doesn't. There, there's no power dynamic to it. Now, how much of that is innate, attaching a power dynamic to these things? How much of it is innate? How much is primal? How much is uh, societal? I mean. I don't know. Only, only you know, humans have the sort of the, the mental capacity to try and think about these things in that way, right? Even right. though you have penetration everywhere in the animal kingdom, but only we have the, you know, the, the mental power. These to, annoying uh, complex <laughs> minds. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anything anything inherently dominant or submissive to these acts. It's what you make of them. That's what you believe. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, so I, it's completely society that has I agree determined with that. that this is going to be the power position and this is going to be the the less powerful position. Yeah. And it usually comes from the fact that women have had less power you know, throughout cultures. And so whatever it is that the female position is, mm-hmm. uh, or the, the yeah, uh, is going to be the less powerful one. So. Yeah, because then you, you could you, you know, a woman could be on top right. and still being penetrated, and mm-hmm. she's yeah. It's I do agree with you there. Where it's more about attitude mm-hmm. than anything. Good, I'm glad we agree. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there is like the primal element, and uh, it's hard to know what's primal. I mean, I 
my libido is definitely primal. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean by primal? Um, I don't think it's it, it's not something that's happening in my brain. It's happening. Oh, it's, everything is happening in your brain. You think so? Of course. I mean, everything is is biological. The, the brain's and, and the nerve center. Exactly. If you if you have a thought, mm-hmm. if you have a desire, that's it. Goes goes through the brain somehow. Right. <laughs> Whether it is because of testosterone or it's because of some association that you made, you know, previously in life that this is this is an arousing situation versus this is not an arousing situation. The libido the libido is such an enigmatic thing. Like I don't no, know. libido is sex drive. Yeah. And sex drive is But where does that where does that come from? Why is it there? Is it is it linked to like as a guy with a big libido, mm-hmm. uh, the same as a guy that wants to accomplish a lot in the world or conquer countries. It, it can be. It can be. Um, I mean, uh, libido is to a large extent determined by testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it other other hormones play a role. Other other things play. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. um, So someone, guy or girl, with mm -hmm. a large testosterone level will have a higher libido? Uh, To some extent, yeah. Um, For for women, it's um, it's more of a... It's more of a (laughs) um, threshold kind of thing. Um, But... um, or for, for actually for men, it's more of a threshold kind of thing because men can have a lot more. And so um, it's, it's not necessarily always more is more testosterone is more sex drive, but it, do, it does seem to be correlated with that. So men who have like lower T, uh, clinically lower T, then mm-hmm. they often lose libido. Um, T is testosterone? Yeah. Okay. Um, so testosterone is linked to libido. Oh, absolutely. It is. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We certainly do know that. And is libido linked to... Uh, uh, like, is your sex drive linked to your drive out in the world? Um, I don't, I don't know. A- that's, that's, that's a very broad, uh, thing. Drive out to the world. Like, like, mean- uh, d- just drive to accomplish things or d- drive like productivity or in any kind of way could be deep, could be destructive productivity too. I don't know if anyone has correlated it with productivity. Like did Hitler have an enormous <laughs> sex drive? <laughs> he just, I don't know if he had better sex, maybe he would have just left all the Jews alone. Is that possible? <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, I wish it were that simple, but I don't yeah. know. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's interesting. So, okay. There's a lot going on in this conversation right now. 
So what has been the most surprising thing for you in your studies with the Casual Sex Project? So with my studies or the Casual Sex with, Project, with, they're you, different. They're two different things. I do research mm-hmm. on casual sex. That's sort of research, uh, academic research that I publish in academic journals that mm-hmm. has been approved by the IRB and all that. And then there's the Casual Sex Project, which is not a research study. Well, one thing I read in, is that, uh, which I wasn't surprised by, is that with casual sex, women orgasm 40% where men orgasm 80% in these casual sex encounters? Yes, that's from undergrads. That's a, that's a large... Oh, that's college. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's from a large... Um, like 20,000 people uh, sample of college students throughout the U.S. Mm-hmm. Not a representative sample, but, you know, from like 20 different colleges. And, um, yeah, they found that in in their last most recent casual hookup, yeah. um, only about 40% of women had an orgasm versus about why 80%. Do you, why do you think that is? Oh, goodness, so many different reasons. Uh-huh. Um, well, <laughs> women are less likely to have an orgasm period than mm-hmm. men. So even in romantic encounters, there's an orgasm gap. Uh, Maybe it's all because they're just college kids. Well, <laughs> they you, don't know what they're doing. Well, certainly, certainly. <laughs> but um, so, you know, when, when they asked them about their most recent romantic encounter, men were again more likely to have come like about, I think, 90 or 80 something or ninety percent maybe of men had 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 an orgasm, and about seventy percent of the women or something. Oh, so it like was that. higher when there were. So it was higher. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So so women are much more likely to have an orgasm in a in a romantic encounter. And um, when they looked at the kinds of hookups, so the more times a woman had had sex with that person prior to that particular hookup, the more likely she was to come. So in in a in a first time right. hookup. The, I think the chances were like, or only about 10 or 15% of the women had had an orgasm the first time they had sex with someone. And then. Do you think alcohol has to play in that as well? Alcohol probably has, has a role to play. I think um, there, there are a couple of main culprits. One is uh, the expectation that women and men have that, um, uh, that often in hookups, it's, it's, it's not, and just in general, that the orgasm is not as important to women than it is for men. So often women will be, women won't advocate for their own orgasms. Right. In, especially in hookups. Um, second, it does take, you know, a little more knowledge and skill and mm-hmm. time for a lot of women to have an orgasm. Uh, and they can't quite have it in, in that kind of first time when you don't know each other's bodies. Mm-hmm. And, um, if they're sore, if there's not enough lubrication, they might just want it to end already. Yeah, but what happens is, you know, men often don't care about women's pleasure when it comes to, to hookups. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kind of selfish, and the women mm-hmm. aren't selfish. So um, the women are trying to please the men, and the men are tra- trying to please themselves, and no one seems to try to please the women. Right. Uh, also women, I don't know, so so it's it, it's. General rule for men is that if you're hooking up, you should make sure that the woman comes first. Yeah. I mean, I I think we need to teach men to be more giving and more caring, even if it's, you know, a five minute quickie in the bathroom with someone you're never going to see again. Mm -hmm. Like, Give as much as you can in that in that moment, because it's going to make it a much better experience for everyone involved. And women need to be more demanding. 
Mm-hmm. Um, women also often don't know their bodies. They don't know what feels good. Right. And we certainly don't teach them to be assertive enough to tell men what feels good. So oftentimes um, I have guys come to me and be like, so I, I want to please them. Like I, and I try, I ask, you know, like, what do you like? What do you want me to do? And they say, oh, I like I everything. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, whatever you're doing is, is good. I think it has to be more more uh, strategic of a question. Like, yes. do you like how's this? Exactly. How's that? Yeah, so that question is too broad, too basically. Broad. Yeah. Just, just asking what do you like is not is not good enough because you're, you're really people. just putting the responsibility onto them <laughs> right yeah. so so what uh, a good uh, friend and colleague and business partner of mine does kenneth play is he gives them a tasting menu he'll say okay which of these three things he'll he'll do different things uh you know to them and be like okay which one of these did you like the most uh-huh um or if they're before, you know, if, if they're still in the negotiation phase and haven't actually started uh, playing, you know, he'll play, tell them, you know, these are your three options. What would you like? Um, right. That that's that's a, I, th- I think also it seems to me that for men, uh, it's all about the orgasm. Mm. If he doesn't ejaculate, it's like sex didn't happen or right, it was a negative right. experience where a woman might see the whole experience as sex. So mm-hmm. even if it, the whole thing was positive, but she didn't have an orgasm, mm-hmm. it's still sex and it was still positive. Yeah, for sure. Um, so even even though only like 40% of women in that study had an orgasm in the most, most recent hookup, the vast majority of them enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. They said right. about, I think, 80% of so uh, said that they enjoyed it either very much or at least somewhat. Yeah. So it was still a pleasurable experience, but they were much more likely to say that they enjoyed it if they also had the nor- had an orgasm, mm-hmm. which is not surprising. So, yeah, it's not about yeah. the end goal. Right, but that's a nice cherry on the top. So I think we yeah. should all strive to do that. And, and what... Um, uh, what we do know from other studies is that the more sexual, the kinds of sexual acts happen during a hookup or during an encounter in general, the more likely a woman is to come. Mm-hmm. So not just intercourse, but you know, there's intercourse and if there's oral sex and there's genital stimulation, and if she is providing genital stimulation to herself mm-hmm. uh, and all of those things, if all of those things are happening, she's so much more likely to have an orgasm than if just one of those things is happening right i read that women are more um prone to orgasm with uh, oral sex with kissing tongue kissing in particular uh yes so most women don't come from intercourse Mm -hmm. about 70 percent of women don't come on a regular basis just from intercourse they Mm -hmm. need some sort of clitoral stimulation and so that's you know that's another thing that we need to teach men that they most of the time have no idea about so yeah, about the you know, get I really think, good with your fingers and your mouth and mm-hmm. i think that's an ego talk. thing too if i don't make her come with my manhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it's hardly worth it you know i think a lot of men and think that's that way. such a harmful kind of mm-hmm. con- cognition to have for yeah. men because most women will not have an orgasm with just your manhood it's mm-hmm. just not gonna happen mm-hmm. um Especially, I mean, there are certain positions that if uh, that the, the clit can, you know, rubs against the male body, and so it makes it more likely that that uh, she would have an orgasm that way. But you know, most of the time, that's not going to happen. At least not on a regular basis. And so you're going to be very, very disappointed again and again and again and again. Yeah. Um, where you could be, you could feel like you're, you know, the master of the universe if you learn how to give her orgasms with your hands and, and, and mouth. 
and she comes back and wants more and then sends all her friends to you because you <laughs> gave her all those amazing orgasms and right. she wants to share it with all your friend, all her friends. I think it's really important to not ask open-ended, what do you like? Mm-hmm. Try a bunch of things because mm-hmm. everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Everyone's body is unique and everyone likes different things. Mm-hmm. And putting the responsibility on the other person is not... And encourage feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say, I really like when I, when I, you know, I can hear you moan or I, I like you to tell me that this feels good if it feels good. Right. And I want you to tell me if it doesn't feel good. Like, um, so kind of encourage constant feedback. Women are not taught to, to provide that kind of feedback. Uh, they don't want to hurt the guy's ego because he's supposed to know exactly what he's doing. Right. Yet, how is he supposed to know what to do? Especially if this is the first time they ever have sex with that particular body and um, they don't know what makes that body work. Um, so, yeah, I think the reason why so the, the, the gap in, in that orgasm is, is so large in hookups is both men not caring enough, mm-hmm. also not being very good lovers, thinking that you know their their penis is supposed to do all the work, especially wand. if yeah, especially yeah. if it's big. Then yeah. oh my god, that's all I need is mm-hmm. just present big penis, and it will magically make women come right. Um, and then it's women's fault for not demanding, not asking. Uh, you know, I always tell <laughs> tell women who come to me is like, if he didn't try, you yeah. know, don't go back. Don't, you know, don't reward bad behavior. If he didn't even try to give you an orgasm, then that's it. He never gets to see you again. Don't let them out until they've given you an orgasm (laughs) or kick them out if they're, you know, they're being douchebags and don't want to even put an effort into it. Yeah, well, that goes into the societal thing of women wanting to please Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. make conflict in any situation. Right, right. What do you make of that stat that women are having better sex in romantic situations? Well, I mean, in romantic situations, there's a lot more um, investment on the part of the men to begin with, right? Uh, Emotionally? Well, investment in in pleasing that woman. Physically. Well, physically and emotionally, sexually in any way, because Mm -hmm. they... You know, they're, they're, they love that person. They want to be with that person. So they care about their well-being. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, you know, a one-night stand, it's like they don't care as much because they might never see again. And men will say that in, in research studies. They'll say, of course, of course, I want to make my girlfriend come. But that one-night stand hookup thing, I don't give a fuck. That's, you right. know, that's it's her deal. Like, There's that old saying, uh, men, use, men use love to get sex and women use sex to get love. Have you heard that? Of course. It's such an awful, disgusting stereotype, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a stereotype. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. Now, how much of that is true? Because I, I do know women that they're not interested in one-night stands, or at least mm-hmm. they've told me they're not interested in one-night stands. They're, they're, they have to feel an emotional connection mm-hmm. to want to have sex. Mm-hmm. And I've rarely ever heard that from a guy. I've heard that from a guy. But yes, as we mm-hmm. talked, there is, yes, on average, women are less interested in casual sex than men. Yeah. Why? why? And you but think we talked about that already. Is this, <laughs> you think it's totally societal? No, I said, I thought it's a mix of evolutionary and societal. You did? Okay. I did. I you, must have you, missed you, that. You, 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 she said it. <laughs> rewind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also trying to segue it into relationships. Okay. Because you're, you're married. Uh-huh. You're married. Now, it's how long have you been with the person? Not married, but with them? Six years, five or six years. Okay. 
So I've been in a long relationship too, and it gets uh, the challenge of a long relationship is to keep things spicy and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can is, be. Which is why I think uh, people in long relationships make better lovers. Rather than like a person that, a guy, for example, that has had a lot of different lovers, I don't think he'll be as good and bad as a guy that's been in a long relationship because there's that comfort. No, I wouldn't say so. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think it, it depends on, you know, what kind of lover you try, that guy has tried to be for his lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of really terrible lovers, you know, guys who've been in long-term relationships because... They only know this one body and they might not even have explored much of what works with, you know, they found this one thing that kind of works more or less and they just go with it for years and years and years. So if you don't experiment, you don't explore, you don't try new things, you don't learn new skills, then you can be an absolutely horrendous lover. Uh, (laughs) But you're you're good for that one person. You might be good or or decent enough for that person, um, but, you know, give them a a new person and they don't know what to do. Uh, On the other hand if um if you are the kind of person who will actually put in the time and effort to try to please every single partner that that you've had then you probably know a shit ton about how to please different types of women and Mm. if you are one of those guys who knows how to get feedback and, and knows how to encourage how to create safe space uh positive space for women to feel like they can be as slutty as they want to be mm-hmm. and they can pr- tell them, uh, tell him, you know, what they want, then you've learned a lot. Right. So, yeah, I don't think there's a correlation between the number of partners that you've had and how long you've had sex with them and how good of a lover you are. That's cool. You've opened my mind to that. That's good. <laughs> I, I think a lot of pleasing someone else is just innate that you're picking up signals from them, both verbally, physically, how they react to stuff, yeah. and be, being open to it while it's happening. I think, you know, and that can happen the first time you have sex or with yeah. your first lover, or, you know, or it might not ever happen after hundreds. Yeah, but it's also a skill, and it's, mm-hmm. it's also an intention. So you right. can try so some people are better at reading signals i mean that's why some people are I don't know, therapists or con artists or you know mm-hmm, whatever right. and others are not because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just terrible at it so so certainly it's for some people it's easier to become better lovers to multiple people because they just kind of immediately pick up on those signals um but that's something that you can totally learn. Absolutely. And even if you're not very good at reading body language, you can train yourself to be good at asking the right questions um, right. To, to then make it more explicit. Because there's so many different ways that you can tell someone or, or get from someone the information of what, you know, what they want or what you want. So, um, so, yeah, I think everyone can become a better lover and everyone can train themselves to read signals or get feedback better. Even yeah. though for some of us, it's easier than for others. Yeah. Do you think uh, between genders, one is more varied of what turns them on or what makes them have an orgasm? Yeah. I mean, women do seem to be more complicated that that's, way. That's what I'm getting at, <laughs> but I only know that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And especially given that, you know, women do have the, these different types of orgasms and different parts of their genitals that will get them to that point. And so mm-hmm. I think there is certainly more variability in that regard. So men do have a harder job uh, of, you know, knowing and figuring out the different female bodies and what makes them work um, at the same time as, you know, the, the women are the ones who are less likely to show 
the 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 men what they want because the men are i mean men differ to some extent you know mm-hmm. some like their blowjobs this way and some like it that way and you know whatever some don't even some, like them some don't like blowjobs at all yeah um or you know they, they're kind of sort of indifferent towards them some like this position some like that position mm-hmm. um but what men do is they show their female partners what they want you know, they push their hands, heads down when they want a blowjob. They turn them over or say, right. you know, let's mm-hmm. flip around when they want to change positions. Right. Like, yeah. So they're more assertive right. in telling the women what they want, whether verbally or non-verbally. And women just don't do that off it yeah. as much. I, f- I feel sometimes uh, it's like looking for a light switch in a pitch black room. <laughs> right. Where you just kind of keep <laughs> and then, oh, there it is. All right, good. Everyone's happy. Yeah. 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 So it would be nice if we could help people mm-hmm. find the light switch. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, li- I listen to Savage Love and mm-hmm. a lot of problems people have with long-term relationships is keeping that spark alive. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, 50% of relationships or marriages end in divorce mm-hmm. and there's a lot of cheating going on. Yep. Now, obviously, we can alleviate some of that cheating by communicating. Mm-hmm. You know, even just like if you have a crush on someone talking Talk about, about it. it. Yep. Because there's a huge gap between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you can kind of cross that gap, you realize, oh, I was just just a fantasy in my head. I don't need to act Actually on it. Actually act on it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we do know that that raw desire, sexual desire that people have in the beginning of a relationship, that thrives on novelty. That thrives on, you know, dopamine that... Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs novelty. And as soon, you know, once things start to get more routine and uh, they don't change and you kind of get into a a groove that works, you found something that works and then it doesn't really change, Um, that that raw desire just diminishes over time. And that is a a very typical pattern that happens to almost all couples, maybe not all. Some Mm -hmm. manage to kind of stay at a a flat line or it gets better for a while and then you kind of stay up high. But for the most part... Yeah, you you are not as crazy about having sex with that person after ten years of living them with mm-hmm. them as you were uh, in the first month uh, when when you first started having sex. How do you, how do you do it in your in your marriage? Any <laughs> any tips that can uh, help help a listener? I don't really talk about my private life and what I do in my private life, but there are a lot of things that you can do, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of them have to do with bringing novelty in some way. And obviously, the most novel thing is a new partner, but mm-hmm. that goes, you know, that that enters the non-monogamy world. But there's a lot that you can do to play around with, kind of what the boundaries of your monogamy are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can bring in novelty by just kind of talking about, as you were saying, you know, you have a crush on someone, or even you just find someone attractive. You know, you walk down the street, and there's this gorgeous, you know, woman, man, whatever. Uh, share that with your partner, and, you know, right. create a relationship with it's okay to share. It's okay to acknowledge that other people are attractive and that you still have desire, you know, have fantasies and desires about other people. Right. I've said this before and I love this idea of, uh, so what I, what I love about relationships is that in a relationship, there's no rules. There's yeah, absolute, you create your own, you yeah. design your own. Absolutely. It's the only thing. It's the only place in our life where we can make our own rules for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Everything else we do, there's rules that we have to abide by, <laughs> but not in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It could be whatever you want yeah. it to be. Whatever works for you and your partner. Yeah. And so, you know, watch I think a lot of people together. forget that. I know. 
Yeah, but we have a very singular um, model of what a relationship, long-term relationship is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, it's two people and we don't, you know, once you fall in love, if you really love someone, then you don't ever desire anyone else. And that's, that's crazy. I mean, that's so unrealistic for the vast majority of people. I'm sure there are some people out there who fell in love and they have never, ever even thought about someone else. I don't know if you're out there. I would love to hear uh-huh. from you. Please find me on <laughs> on the internet and and tell me your story. I would love to hear it. Um, but for the vast majority of people, that is not realistic. You are going to have desires for other people. Now, what you do with them is is a separate issue. You can certainly not do anything with anyone else. But well, obviously, um, the the marriages aren't going well. If we have a fifty percent divorce rate and even a higher rate of yeah. people being dishonest and cheating mm-hmm. on the other. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in many ways that well, there's so many things I want to say about that, but, um, I think a lot of those marriages could have, uh, a lot of those divorces could have been prevented just mm-hmm. by people, uh, maybe talking about their, you know, one of the top, I think two or three, uh, reasons for divorce is infidelity. Yeah. Right. And so those infidelities could have been prevented perhaps if people had, talked about it, what their needs were, and, and figured out a, a way to get those, some of those needs met in a, in, a, in a way that didn't break up the relationship. Yeah. Some of those divorces could have been prevented by taking the infidelity as a, as a, um, as a chance, as a point uh, to change and to figure out, you know, what, what is it that you weren't getting? And, you know, can we change this to a, a, a relationship structure and arrangement where you are getting what you yeah. need? And sometimes that, and sometimes that happens. Absolutely. And sometimes that actually helps a relationship mm-hmm. when there mm-hmm. is an infidelity, because all yeah. of a sudden they're, they're like, Oh, we could finally be honest. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely. this whole thing is going to end anyway. So now yeah. I can be honest and tell you. And, and on the other hand, you know, not, I don't necessarily think of, uh, ended relationship as failed relationships. Yeah, I think and that's I, something that's changing culturally. Yeah, we really need to move away from that. I mean, we live very long lives, right? Mm-hmm. We live to, what's the average lifespan? About 80 or something, and yeah. more than 80. That's a very long life. If you started dating someone when you were like 20, I mean, being Oof. together with someone for 60 years and being on the same page about how you want to live your life, yeah. you know, for 60 years, that's not very easy. You know, we have very busy lives. We, mm-hmm. we do different things. We travel. We change careers. We, you know, decide, you know, we, we don't want to live here anymore. We want to move elsewhere. And um, so it's very likely that our desires about how we want to live our lives uh, are going to diverge at some point. But if, it's a, if, it, if it was a good relationship, if I enjoyed those 20 years that mm-hmm. I spent with this person, and then at some point we decided that, okay, you know, we're not enjoying each other's company anymore and we're going to move on. I don't it's, think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a, a failed relationship. Yeah, no, and I think that's changing culturally. People mm-hmm. are people even breaking up and staying mm-hmm. in touch. Friends, yeah. Staying friends, yeah. That's a maturation that's happening. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, a, that's a good thing it's happening, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know, is polyamory on the rise? Um, well, it's, it's hard to say. It's definitely being talked about a lot more in the media. Yeah. And some new studies that are coming out that have surveyed people about their interests or openness to that are showing that more and more people at least considering that as a possibility. Uh, I think it's still too early to to tell how, how many people are actually going to adopt that, Mm -hmm. but at least it's becoming more, 
uh, sort of uh, possible or or yeah. People are becoming more aware of that and at least thinking about it. And I think that's a good thing, just having people think about that. Because sure. I don't think non-monogamy is for everyone. Right. You know, some people just don't have the need. Some people uh, don't want to deal with the complexity that it brings. Mm-hmm. Some people are too jealous or sort of emotionally insecure when they're in a relationship. And you do need at least some level of, you know, um, of being able to manage jealousy in a in a in a sort of right. productive kind of way that it doesn't destroy you or doesn't make it uh, not just not worth it to you know too hard to deal with for yeah, the benefits that you're getting you know that you know the term monogamish of course yeah right, of yeah. course you do um i don't know if dan savage coined that term or what mm-hmm. but he um did. he did okay <laughs> so that's definitely something that is probably mm-hmm. on the rise because it ties into yeah. uh, the other things we're talking about yeah and those are some things that that, that's what I was saying, you know, kind of pushing what the boundaries of monogamy really are for you and your partner in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, you know, the vast majority of people are going to go and have, you know, multiple long-term relationships probably anytime soon, uh, like the, the poly uh, scene, or they're going to be having, you know, orgies every week right. with their partner, although nothing wrong with that if that's your thing, by yeah. all means. But I think more and more people are just going to kind of start acknowledging uh, you know desires for other people um and um you know not being freaked out if their partner watches porn for example or maybe they'll go watch porn together and i highly encourage couples to watch porn together some um, some some people consider uh if their partner's watching porn mm-hmm. that it's like a form of cheating and it may be and and that's i mean if that's how you perceive it then you should talk about that with your partner and then those are your your limits that's how you're defining monogamy and it's important that you're on the same page um with your partner about how you define monogamy right well there's also the problem of if you do have a a monogamish relationship Mm -hmm. there's that problem like we're talking about before where women tend to become more emotionally attached well what's your definition of monogamish seeing another having another partner see but that's not monogamish that's not monogamous (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, in, in in a relationship, if you have another partner, that's non-monogamy. Then, right? That's sexual non-monogamy. Right. So the problem of doing that monogamy, yeah. Uh, the problem of doing it is that women get more attached. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be, um, but you can put, you can, you can use some strategies to keep your attachment in check. And some people do use them. Like, mm-hmm. don't have sex with the same person too often or too many times. Don't see them on your own. Uh, you know, don't, you know, have other partners in between. Don't just, you know, go back to the same per- person over and over again. Um, you know, don't spend the night there or whatever it is that, you know, right. things that will limit the amount of intimacy that you're getting from that person. For other people, though, in a poly relationship, that's not a problem. Having emotional attachments with multiple people is by design, you know, worked into the relationship arrangement. Right. Um, so there is that too. Yeah. Do you have you studied much of that? Because that seems like it would be mm-hmm. pretty complicated. Yes, it is very complicated. Uh, I have. I am. I'm collecting data right now on people who um, go to sex parties. Okay. So that kind of overlaps with obviously non-monogamy and non-monogamy arrangements and that kind of stuff, but. Um, yeah, it's, it can be pretty fascinating. But again, that inviting that third person into your relationship is a, is a step that, you know, many, many people think it's, it's one step too far, right? They don't want to go there because mm-hmm. that 
you know, uh, arouses jealousy, emotion, potent, the potential for emotional attachment with someone else mm-hmm. and ending the relationship. There are so many steps in between the you can't even watch porn, you know, because mm-hmm. that means you're you're cheating on right. me. So uh, or you can't even maybe masturbate if I'm not around. Like you can't touch your penis without, you know, that's crazy <laughs> controlling. <laughs> but yeah. But, you know, for some people, maybe that's their definition of monogamy and they better find someone who is OK with that. Yeah. Um, but if that is one extreme of what monogamy is, um, there's so many you know, little kind of steps in between that end of the spectrum and the uh, actually even having sex with someone else. So, I mean, think about, you can go, you can go to a sex party mm-hmm. and not do anything, just watch. You and your partner at right. a sex party watching other people have sex, naked, prancing around, half naked I would naked. assume that that's what a lot of couples do the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think would be the smart move if you're curious about mm-hmm. it, to just go and watch. Yeah. Or will they have sex with each other? So that's the next step. Okay. Maybe maybe that's what you feel comfortable with. Tiptoe into that puddle. Yeah. yeah. And some yeah. people stay there. I know, you know from my studies, you know, there are couples who have been going to sex parties for years now. Mm-hmm. And all they do is have sex with each other. That's it. That's the level of comfort that they feel and around they make, they make it clear to the other guests yeah. that mm-hmm. you know yeah this is they're just very us. friendly mm-hmm. you know i'm specifically thinking about this one couple that that um i i know better than some of the other ones but yeah they're very friendly they're sweet they're you know they have a lot of friends in this community because they've been going there for 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 many years and everyone knows that that's you know, they're only there to have sex with each other watch sort of be in a sexual environment right. see some other naked people see some other people having different kinds of sex maybe than what you're used to mm-hmm. and that can be so arousing i mean that could be amazing then you go home even if you didn't do anything at the party you go home and you have like the best sex ever with your right. partner because of all this novelty because of all this dopamine mm-hmm. that that um is very rewarding to your brain so when you say novelty because you brought you used that word before mm-hmm as a way to keep a long mm-hmm. relationship spicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, novelty, like something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Something new. And as I said, the most novel thing is a new partner. But there are other novel things like, you know, role play mm-hmm. or, you know, bring in new toys, go to different places and have sex, you know, in different locations, mm-hmm. try different things, you know, try getting kinky, right. you know, whatever it is. You know. um, there's a... There's a good example. Um, Esther Perel talks about this in her book, Mating in Captivity, which is probably one of my favorite books ever, um, where uh, she had a, she's a therapist, a sex therapist, and she had a couple where uh, they ended up to kind of bring in this novelty. The, uh, the, they pretended that the wife was, uh, was a hooker, was a prostitute right. that would get paid, you know, she put a wig on and kind of act out as if she was there to, uh, provide a service and she would get paid at the end and mm-hmm. like that. And that made it really hot because it kind of, you know, fucked up with, fucked with the, with the, the I know someone with that and, fetish. Oh, dear. Yeah. And he asks his girlfriends to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, there's so many different ways to bring in novelty it's it's just your brain needs new stimuli right um and you know, but you to something like that you also got to commit to it you know like uh, i would imagine a lot of people especially with their long-term partner when there's they know them so intimately they would just start to laugh at that like oh you're not a cop well or, of you're course not of a- course i mean if you're gonna role play you're gonna have to role play but, yeah you know you can't start laughing in the middle <laughs> no you can't <laughs> and you know sometimes maybe you can and then you go back and 
in the um, in your role and other like acting okay. lessons for role playing <laughs> couples. I mean, that seems like a good a good niche. You could you know mm-hmm. be like, ah, oh, it's not a very convincing prostitute there. Let's take it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's certainly role uh, role playing workshops and stuff. A lot of the and that's one way. You know, we're talking about education, sex ed, and there is sex ed for adults. Mm-hmm. Most large cities, especially in in the U.S., will have. Um, some sort of workshops for for adults, and that's another way that I would highly suggest to couples who don't want to necessarily open up, but want to do something new and, and spice things up and yeah. um, keep things fresh. You know, go to a workshop. Usually, the uh, where would they the find sex, these workshops? The sex stores mm-hmm. will typically have them. So places like Babeland, Pleasure Chest in New York City, right. um, uh, Shag Brooklyn. Please, Brooklyn. It's a new one that just opened in Brooklyn. So you can um, Google sex workshops in your yeah, city. Yeah, sex ed workshops in your mm-hmm. city. And, um, you know, there'll be like uh, one on blowjobs, one on, you know, girlgasms, yeah. one on, um, I don't know, keeping monogamy hot. Like they will actually have workshops on. There are workshops for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And then more specific things, like if you want to learn kinky things. So pleasure, um, uh, Purple Passion is another one in in. New York City, mm-hmm. it's a BDSM, it's a kink-oriented um, sex store that will have kink-oriented workshops. So mm-hmm. rope play, anal sex, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, spanking or caning or flogging one-on-one mm-hmm. or, um, yeah, like all sorts of things or role-playing or humiliation, you know, whatever it is that people are into, they yeah. teach lessons. There's so many hang-ups in this culture, like you, you just said anal sex and with uh, with men, it's like Anything around the uh, the ass is considered gay. Oh, that's men. so sad. So sad. They're missing out on so much potential pleasure. Mm-hmm. But that that's true. Yeah, absolutely. and the health benefits as well. And some health benefits of prostate stimulation. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very sad. But as one sex educator, uh, the redhead bedhead says, uh, sexual behaviors don't have sexual orientations. So. It, doesn't matter what you like to do that doesn't make you gay it's who you want to do that with Mm. that might make you gay um but yeah we just live in such a homophobic society where it's like anything close to being gay is super gay and even people (laughs) who are not overtly homophobic who are like all pro gay rights and all that we still like we internalize that so much from growing up in a in a relatively you know hetero sexist and and Mm -hmm. homophobic world that even they will feel like oh no that's kind of gay yeah um yeah, it's so ingrained. It's so deeply ingrained. Do you discuss that in your uh, classes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're single-handedly changing the minds of the next generation. I'm trying, yes. I'm trying. And it's funny. I mean, at the end of class, you know, uh, I've taught human sexuality at NYU twice the, so far. This is the third semester that I'm teaching it. And both times at the end of the semester, students, many students came to me and said, this class changed my life. Mm-hmm like literally those words and they would send me like thank you cards and you know, thank you emails of this yeah this was the most impactful class i've ever taken yeah there's so much there's so much stuff to unpack a lot of women think they, they lose their attraction to men if if a guy likes anal play or like the for a lot of women like the idea of them pegging a guy they're like, ugh, I lose all attraction to him immediately. So women have hang-ups with sure. it sure as yeah. well. Some women do. Luckily, yeah. I think I think more and more people are opening up to that idea. And again, we're talking about that more and more in the in the media. And so, 
and it's not for everyone like some women just don't have interest in in pegging or doing mm-hmm. that and so they should by all means find men who are not into that right but it's a weird homophobia all the way around yeah maybe well it's it's seen as a punchline still if it's in a mm-hmm. if you see it in a movie or a tv show right it's a joke right yeah. right right it's, for sure um yeah, to some extent, it might have to do with submission and domination or, mm-hmm. that we we're talking about earlier, yeah. right? So if a man wants to be penetrated, then he's not dominant enough. Mm-hmm. He's not aggressive or assertive enough. And so for, say, for a woman who wants to be with a very dominant man, then, and if she perceives that as not very dominant, so it's not just homophobia, but it's also this this weird, you know, connection between, you know, penetration and, and dominant submission that we have around it. And it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, some of the, the biggest, baddest doms that I know, male doms in the BDSM world that I know love to get pegged and they'll, they will have their submissive female partners peg them, Exactly. but they still have the power. They are the ones telling the woman how she's pegging him and Mm -hmm. where she's pegging him and how long she's pegging him for. It's like, so it's still a DS kind of play where he's the top. Right regardless of what exactly is being done to him and you can be both oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah a lot of hang-ups tons of that we need to um, work on and change is there anything that uh we didn't cover that you think we should have do you want me to tell your listeners where to find me absolutely yeah i'm <laughs> gonna put that in the, in the show notes anyway but please do yeah so come connect with me mm-hmm. i'm on all social media well not all but i'm on twitter instagram and facebook as d-r-z-h-a-n-a dr jana yes uh, my website is dr jana.com the other website that we've been talking about is the casual sex mm-hmm. i also do live video broadcasts on this new awesome app called periscope yeah yeah if you haven't heard of that download it now and Pretty find amazing. me again as dr jana and I do basically sex ed scopes, sex educational scopes. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I talk about all things sexual health and sex ed and uh, sex science. So you can people can get lost in your website. It's just like <laughs> it's like a center portal for all these other portals, and you just well, I do a lot of stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Thank and you so much. You can just Google Jana Z H A N A and sex, and I'll be the only thing that comes up for the first three pages of Google, most likely. <laughs> That's good. It's very easy to find me. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.